glad to see everybody this morning. I, I do hope you have your Bibles. Um, and for those of you who use exclusively your, your phone Bible, please get a hard copy, okay? Because uh, at least you have that. And when it's open, at least you know where, okay? So um, back in First John today, we looked at uh, the Antichrist last week which was a heavy message about the one who is to come. Talked about a lot of those things, and today we're going to be looking at the little antichrists that have come. Those that have come already and those that are present with us now. And there's, there's always been those in the church and, and, and around the church ever since Jesus' ministry and when he ascended. So 1 John chapter one, or chapter 2, rather, we're going to be looking at, last week we looked just at verse 18, this, this week we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23 in light of what we learned in verse 18. And we're going to be looking at the character traits of Antichrist becoming battle ready. And I think uh, that, that title of, that, of this series is probably very appropriate for, for which we live these days, becoming battle-ready character traits of Antichrist. So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Remember last week it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And then he goes on to write, They who... The, the little Antichrist, that's who. The little Antichrist went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let's pray. Father, it is very important that we, when we read your word, take it in, that we look at how it's written. You preserved your truth on paper, in which case we read what you say, and what these words are, are power, and they instruct us, and they reprove us, and they correct us in righteousness. We must be thoroughly equipped by them. There is no other way to be equipped to take on what we see developing in our day to handle what's going on around us. God, make, make us wise unto salvation. Make us wise unto the time in which we live. And while, Lord Jesus, you said that we would never know the day or the hour of your return, you did tell us to know the seasons. So let us pay attention. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Character traits of Antichrist. What do they look like? Well, I have four... And they are all given right out of the text. All four of them are given right out of the text. Number one, 
The first characteristic or character trait of an Antichrist is you will never find an Antichrist happy and content in the local church. I know that's like, that's just self-revelatory, uh, right? Man, sometimes some of you move seats and I can't find you and I'm looking for you and you've moved and it's messing me up altogether. So like, I'm thinking, oh, I got to call them. I got to call. Let me get back to my right mind. So thanks a lot for disrupting the service, use. Okay. <laughs> You know who you are, <laughs> but no, uh, it's true. You will never find an Antichrist happy and content in the local church because, as it says in verse 19, they went out from us. Now, I don't know if you've actually connected the dots yet, but the Antichrist did not just come up out of the ground from without. They come from within. That's creepy. That's really weird. And I'm going to prove that to you here in a little bit of just some of the big names that we know that have done so. But they come out, they, the Bible says they went out from us, but they were not of us. And then, of course, John's reasoning is very clear. For if they had been of us, meaning if they had been on the same page about true doctrine and the position of who Christ is, who the Father is, where redemption lies, they would have remained with us. They would have continued with us. But they went out, now here's why, that they might be made manifest, that they might become known that none of them were of us. So I think one of the very first things that we, when we read through pericopes of Scripture like this is we need to understand what it's trying to say. What is it trying to get us to pay attention to? What is John trying to communicate to his audience then? Back in his day, he's dealing with, as an aged apostle, he's dealing with a church that is looking at the, at the Roman emperor going, man, this guy's off the hook. He's making illegal laws, even according to their own set of Roman charters, okay? He's, he's declaring himself to be God, you have to throw rice at him and say so or else. And the persecution on the church was, was, it wasn't everywhere all at the same time, but it was always happening somewhere in the Roman Empire. It was over a quarter of the earth, you got to remember. So all of these things and the imagery that was, being, that was happening led to the conversation of the aged apostle giving them directives on how to handle not only the Antichrist, but the little ones too. Because there was a whole sloosh of them rising up saying, I am the Christ. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, before his uh, crucifixion and all those things, that there would be many in those last days that would say that <clears throat> here's Christ over here in the desert or over there. He goes, don't you believe it. For as lightning comes through the east and flashes through the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, you won't be able to miss it. By the way, have any of you ever been really close to a lightning strike? Did you have any trouble noticing it? <laughs> okay, because me too. You know, me too. I remember my, my, uh, my grandmother had a trailer house on, on the property that we were at, and I was over at her house, and there was a little porch just built out, you know, kind of in the Oklahoma redneck way. And uh, it was a torrential thunderstorm. And I was just right out there going, wow. And then just a big noise and crack and bright light scared me to death 
I had, I had no shoes on. I was little. I kicked a cactus going back in the house. Got a right through the middle toe. Was freaking out, you know. And it was a very horrid event uh, that I remember to this day. But the point of the matter is you can't miss lightning. You will know when it's Jesus. Okay? And that's what the Lord is trying to say. But these Antichrists, they seem to think that they seem to think that, that you won't know and you might miss it and they need, you to point, they need to point you to them. So the very definition, though, of Antichrist means one who is opposed to Christ. Now, that's, that's a given, right? They're opposed to Christ. Now, I want to say, they're only going to be opposed to Christ by saying they're for Christ while the whole time they're opposing him. Because the whole time they're saying that they're not opposed to Christ, they're making themselves out to be Christ, which means they're opposing Christ. Dan, did you... Okay, he's like... As long as, biblical, as long as a biblical understanding of Christ is upheld by the local church, you will not find an antichrist being tolerated or remaining there. Okay, and this church actually has dealt with one of those in particular. They're not among us anymore. They went out that they might be made manifest. Okay, anyone who truly loves Christ will love what he loves and hate what he hates. Now, that's, that's very clear. Now, how are you going to know what Christ loves and how are you going to know what Christ hates? Through the Scriptures. In which case, the Antichrist used the Scriptures too. So you better know your Scriptures well. That's why I always say, if you're in a casual, kind of I read it, kind of I don't, you better wake up. Eat well. If Lynn here were here today, he would say the same. He said, if you're going to eat, Eat well. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 16 through 30. So we're talking about you're going to love what Christ loves and you're going to hate what the Lord Jesus hates. In John chapter 5, verse 16 through 30, here's what we read. So Jesus had healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. They were ups- the religious elite were upset by this. Because he did it on the Sabbath. And it says in verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. What's the very first thing that Jesus always does when he's attacked for what he does? I do what my father says I should do. As Christians, what we do should be what our Father says we should do because it's what our Lord does. That's what it is to be Christ-like. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now, again, that's a tall thing to do. I mean, that's pretty bold. You better be able to back it up. And then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, or to, uh, most, assuredly I, yeah, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. Do you see this here now? He's, I only do what the father does. But what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So never does Jesus separate himself from the Father. Never does Jesus ever keep the Father over here and him over here. And never does anything Jesus teach conflict or, or contradict that which the Father would say or has said and what he has done ever and the reason that's true because Jesus has always been with the father I mean he was the agent of creation after all he through him the worlds were made so there's not a there's never a a disconnect between Jesus's claim as Messiah in his directives and what the father taught unlike Antichrist they do that very well but they're slick about it but they do it very well. Jesus writes in verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and he shall not come into judgment. If you're you're here today and you want to know how not to go to hell, let me just repeat verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, Jesus is writing, he who hears my word and believes in him, Jesus saying, if you believe in me, and him who sent me to the Father, then you shall not come into judgment, but you will have passed from death into life. That's the answer on how not to go to hell when you die. That's the answer on having your sins forgiven. That's the answer on repenting and getting right with God. That's right there in verse 24, right from Jesus. No other steps right there, okay? And Jesus writes, most surely I say to you, the hour is coming. Now we talked about the horah last Sunday is coming. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority, now there's the word authority, to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, Jesus lays it out again. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're not sure where you're going to go when you die, he just answered the question. If you hear his voice and you believe him, you will come forth to him. You will come, you will have done good and you will come to the resurrection. But if you have done evil and you do not hear his voice, you will be resurrected to condemnation. You must know Christ You must come to Him and lay your burden down of sin and be cleansed and be forgiven of your treason against His holiness. Jesus says in verse 30, I can't of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And it's to that last sentence I would bring your attention to say, These are unlike what the Antichrist that seem to always want to do their own will apart from what God the Father has revealed. So that's why I put that in there. Number two, here's the second character trait of an antichrist. They do not have the Holy Spirit. But that's a big thing, right? Verse 20, 
but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, when we are in Christ, when we become saved, when we are born again because we've repented of our sin, we've passed from death into life, He gives us His Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee for the purchased possession, which will one day be brought up again, which is this physical body of ours, which don't ever get away from the fact that one day you're going to get that thing back. And like I said in Sunday school, you all will look so much better, okay? We all will be in our glorified state, but it's a big deal because we have been given the Holy Spirit. Jesus' Spirit is in us. We know truth from error. That's what it is to be in Christ. It doesn't mean that you can't maybe for a few moments get crossways in your thinking, that you can't maybe get a little deceived in the sense of maybe stepping aside for a few moments, as it were. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will come back because He keeps you by His Spirit, right? He keeps you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you're not of His. And if you are an antichrist and you're claiming to be a Christ... You're a false Christ because you're an empty Christ because you're no Christ at all because you have no spirit of God in you, right? And so that's why John is encouraging them saying, you have an anointing. Now, I love that. I like that word. Um, The child of God has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And, And it says in John 16, verse 13 and 14, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So here's the the question. What kind of spirit does an antichrist actually have? He has an unholy spirit. He has an opposite of the Holy Spirit. He has a satanic spirit. He has a He has the doctrine of demons flying from his or her tongue because it's not exclusively a male thing, okay? As we shall see here in a few minutes. And Jesus is saying, but when you come to Christ, you get the spirit of truth and this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell who? Me. You, if you're in Christ, all things to come. He will glorify me. Who? Jesus. The Holy Spirit seeks to glorify the Son. Okay? An Antichrist seeks to glorify himself. And, and the Holy Spirit will take of what is Jesus's and declare it to us. It's a beautiful picture of the abiding presence of God in everyday life. How much we should embrace and, and praise God. It should call jubilation to fall right now upon you. And just say, God, you, you have given us yourself in this world. And as I'm bungling along, like a truck on square tires even, you're with me. And, and, and I am kept by the power of God. But an antichrist only glorifies themselves. The Bible refers to them as having their only God as their belly and their only uh, machination are those of the flesh and, and they seek to promote nothing but lies and they bring corruption. I like this. However, the Antichrists are void of the Spirit of God. They are, and this is true, they are completely incapable of speaking about Jesus without twisting His nature 
and his sufficiency. Now, for those of you who are in the Dane Ortland study in Sunday school, I didn't, I didn't get into the word. I have mentioned it before. But there are actually two. Eutychianism and monophysism. Both of them are isms, and they both need a cream to get rid of. Okay? They need the salve of heaven to really get rid of it. But uh, essentially what they are are views of Jesus that make Jesus less than Jesus. One only focuses on his divinity exclusively. His flesh was simply a hologram. It wasn't real. Jesus would never, as matter is evil, the, the Christ, the Spirit of Christ, could never have dwelt in sinful flesh, nor much less be subjected to the travail of the cross. Okay? And then the other side would say, nope, he's just uh, a man and was only for a brief second or two that the Spirit of Christ indwelt him, and then before the cross, he went away again. See, Jesus, you have to get this, to be Jesus, to, to be the genuine article, if you will, you have to be perfectly divine God, and you have to be perfectly man. And that works. Okay, that's what you have to be. There is a perfect harmony in it. And, and the, the Antichrist will always, dip, will, will abbreviate or alleviate or, no, that's not the right word, deviate is the word. They will always go one way or another with that, okay? Always, just pay attention to what they have to say. <laughs> when it says you have an anointing, for example, from the Holy One as one who knows Christ, the word is chrisma, chrisma. It's actually chrisma, okay? And it means to pour oil upon. So, you know, uh, if you ever, well, for example, if you're getting ready a, a brisket or something, I'm sorry, I have to go back to the food again, all right, and, and, uh, and you want to get your rub to stick to it, sometimes you can use mustard. But for this illustration, we're going to use oil, okay, Oscar? You just slather it all over. You just pour it on and then you rub it. All in, so it's just one big, slick, sticky mess. And then you just, oh, you just surround the whole thing, top and bottom and sides, and then you place it on the smoker forever, okay? <laughs> Jan's like, go for it, yeah! And then about, well, anyway, but to pour oil on it is good. Well, when you pour that oil and it glistens down the side, this is all imagery of how the Lord and the Holy Spirit pour down the beard of Aaron as they anointed him for his high priestly role okay we're anointed with Christ he pours out upon us okay well that's what we get when we are a child of God in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 these false teachers it says and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved Brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So that's what our Christ does. He provides for us salvation. He, he pours it on us, right? And gets us ready for not the smoker, though. 
but for glory, right? But uh, as Paul writes in his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which, as the Antichrist do, untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So, face value learning thing here, learning moment. There are people out there that are going to twist the Scriptures. You all understand that. That's what John is trying to get his, his audience there to understand. There are people that are going to claim to be Christ and they're going to twist the Scriptures to their own devices. They're going to, they're going to do it to their own destruction, in which case it's, <laughs> they all seem to have destroyed themselves. But there are people that are going to do that. The question is, are you able to withstand them by the Scripture you know as a born-again child of God? Study to shoot to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. Number three, character trait. They habitually misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ. They just, they just can't help it. I mean, it's, it's just in them. It's just what they do. Verse 22, who is a liar, John writes, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That's who a liar is. Now, if you're hung up there, let me say it this way. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. They'll say, Jesus isn't the Messiah, I am. Because Jesus failed. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. And I'll get to that second part in a minute. The first place any Antichrist leader will reveal themselves is in their false teaching of Christ. Again, they always twist it. Here's how they do it. First, they may deny his deity. Now, we talked about that just a while ago. They may deny his full deity. They may deny his full humanity. They will always deny his sufficiency. You understand? You you hear what I'm saying here? They will always deny his sufficiency to save in himself. And And they will apply all kinds of things you'd have to do. They always deny his authority. The Word of God. Now, what is one of the names of Jesus that we sometimes say, but maybe not all the time? What's he also called? The Logos of God. The Word of God. And what did John say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the the glory of the only begotten Son of God. That's who he is, the divine Logos. Okay? They will always deny the authority of the Word of God. They will say things like, it's full of this and it's full of that. So one guy that comes to mind here is Joseph Smith in what's known as Mormonism, in which case we're all very familiar with Mormonism. But according to 1 John, he would be a type of an antichrist, okay? Because he actually claimed that he did what Jesus could never do in holding a whole church together. So he attacked not only his divinity, he attacked his authority, He attacked his sufficiency. He attacked pretty much everything on that list that we just made. He did in himself. But 
Remember how it said in, uh, back in verse uh, 19 that they went out from us, but they weren't of us? I got to thinking about it. Is that true here? So, put on my glasses here. Now, here's the deal. Joseph Smith's mother, Lucy Mack, came from a Connecticut family that had disengaged from the conventional congregationalism and leaned towards seekerism, a movement, now pay attention to this, that looked for a new revelation to restore true Christianity. One of the things that, the biggest thing that Joseph Smith did was he claimed to have a restored gospel of Jesus, right? Attacking the sufficiency of the Word of God, right? Okay. Which would then mean Jesus somehow couldn't hold the grip on it and he lost it. So he probably isn't all God there. And although privately religious, the family rarely attended church. And after they moved to Palmyra, New York, they became involved in magic and treasure seeking. Now you all know that Joseph Smith had a magic top hat and he had a seer stone and he looked down in it through magic spectacles and he got all kinds of characters and he translated to a guy named Oliver Cowdery. Lucy Smith attended Presbyterian meetings. But her husband refused to accompany her, and Joseph Smith Jr. remained at home with his father. Religious differences within the family and over religious revivals in the Palmyra area left Smith perplexed about where to find a church. When he was 14, he prayed for help, and according to his own account, God and Jesus appeared to him... (laughs) In answer to his question about which was the right church, they told him that all the churches were wrong, and although a local minister to whom he related the vision dismissed it as a delusion, Smith continued to believe in its authenticity, and thus we have the big white thing sticking over in twin and all across the landscape. Okay? That's what happens. False gospels through a false Christ claiming to only do better what Jesus did perfectly. Well, now he's not the only one. Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, okay, 1852 to 1916. By the time he was 20, Russell had left both Presbyterianism and Congregationalism. Now, you'll find, even though Joseph Smith wasn't in church or raised in church, it was a very religious, I mean, they were full of church stuff. The mama was and all the discussions going on. And then, of course, Charles Taze Russell here, he was in the Presbyterian and Congregational Church because he could not reconcile the idea of an eternal hell with God's mercy. Jehovah's Witness, that's, that's the main tenet of Jehovah's Witness teaching is you will, not, you will not go to hell for all eternity. God would never do that. He had drifted into skepticism when a chance encounter with some followers of the Adventist movement begun by William Miller, called Millerites back then, introduced him to the idea that the Bible could be used to predict God's plan of salvation. Predict it. Now, that's a key word, predict it. Not show it fully and finally, but predict it, especially as the plan related to the end of the world. Because with all these antichrists, there's always certain things they seem to major on. The end of the world is a lot, a big one. It's all, or perhaps a special knowledge that'll make you, you know, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous or whatever. But that was Charles Chase Russell. So he came out. Imagine at some point there before he became a JW in his own right, he was a faithful Presbyterian or Congregationalist. And Joseph Smith's mother was a Congregationalist. Okay. Christian Science. Mary Baker Eddy. <clears throat> 
1821-1910. Mary Baker Eddy's family background in life until her discovery, it's the key words that Antichrist always use. I've learned something new. The Gnostics in John's day, I've learned a new thing that no one else has. You've got to come here to get it. No one else has it. Uh, her discovery of Christian science in 1866 greatly influenced her interest in religious reform. She was, she was born to devout congregationalists at a time when Puritan piety was a real, though residual, force in the religious life of New England. Injured in a severe fall in 1866, she turned, as she later recalled, to a gospel account of healing and experienced a moment of spiritual illumination and discovery that brought not only immediate recovery, but a new direction in her life. That short experience, she later wrote, included a glimpse of the great fact that I have since tried to make plain to others, and they're always trying to make it plain to others, that Antichrists are always having to try hard to make it plain to others. Namely, life in and of the Spirit, this life being the sole reality of existence. I learned that mortal thought evolves a subjective state which it names matter, like physical matter, thereby shutting out the true sense of the Spirit and some of its fundamental teachings. It denies that Jesus is God, of course, the second person of the Trinity, and it says that sin is a false interpretation of divine divine mind and is non-existent. If it sounds confusing, it's because it is. Okay, because you have to understand, as profoundly, profoundly simple as the gospel of Christ is, these antichrists take bits and pieces and stir it up into a slurry and then slather it, hoping some will stick. And then they try to explain how it makes logical sense and it makes none at all. But some are so empty because they don't have the true spirit of Christ in them. They're like, wow, I know this and no one else does. And it makes me feel stuff. And I got goosebumps. And that's a sign of God on the back of my neck. Guy's right. Gal's right. And they go off into their delusion. Hmm? There's another one. Again, I just feel it's important that we establish what the Scripture is saying. People's Church, Jim Jones, he's, he's really kind of new, right? Well, as a young child, Jones became a regular churchgoer. And after graduating from Butler University, he decided to enter the ministry. In the 1950s and 60s in Indianapolis, Indiana, Jones gained a reputation as a charismatic churchman who claimed to have psychic powers, such as the ability to foretell the future and miraculously heal those who were sick. He was a vocal proponent of racial integration, a position that ran afoul of some church elders. And in 1955, he established the Wings of Deliverance, a Pentecostal church that eventually became known as the People's Temple. And in 1972, San Francisco Sermon, he he was speaking, and Jones used the language of 1 Kings 18 to challenge Christians to prove that their God could help them. Here's what he said. Let that God... Or let the God that's God answer. If the sky God, because Jim Jones referred to God the Father as the sky God. If the sky God is indeed your God, let him feed you. Let him house you. When you get into trouble in the courts, let him go to the courts for you. I've been trying to get him recruited, but I haven't been able to find him. 
That's what Jim Jones thought about God the Father. So remember, it's both, it goes to the Son or to the Father. They're always contaminating both. In fact, Jim Jones made himself out to be a self-proclaimed Messiah. But he grew up church. Last one, David Koresh, also known as Vernon Wayne Howell, okay? 1959-1993, we all remember that. Well, not all of us, but most of us do. When he was 19 years old, Koresh had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. He claimed to have become a born-again Christian in the Southern Baptist Church and soon joined his mother's denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There, Koresh became infatuated with the pastor's daughter, and while praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open at Isaiah 30, 34, 16, stating that none should want for her mate. Convinced that, just tuck it out, pluck it out, Convinced this was a sign from God, Koresh approached the pastor and told him that God wanted him to have his daughter for a wife. I'm trying to pick. You tell me that. The pastor threw him out. And when he continued to persist with his pursuit of the daughter, he was expelled from the congregation. And in 1983, Koresh began claiming the gift of prophecy and, of course, made himself out to be an end-time Messiah too. And his major emphasis was the seven seals of revelation and he alone had the capacity to unlock them do you see here's the thing i wanted you to see a couple things they all reduce christ to nothing they all grew up in church basically joseph smith was the only one out of that list that didn't grow up in church but he had a lot of church background in him as he grew up so when it says that these antichrists where did they come from it's tempting to say well, they came, you know, they came out from they came out from the body. And that's weird, isn't it, Dan? That's weird. Yes, it is. Okay. Number four, and this is getting into the last ones of these. They habitually misrepresent God the Father. I have an extra art definite article there. I don't need they they misrepresent God the Father. Now they represent the Son, but it says in verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. You, you can't claim to know God and reject Christ. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Kenneth Woost comments, the, modern, the modernist who professes to worship the God of the Bible and who at the same time rejects his Son as very God of very God does not sustain a saving relationship to the God he professes to worship. He is not his child, not a Christian, but an unsaved individual. So they can, they can, they can just say all they want to say about how they know Jesus and they believe in the Father and as they misrepresent Jesus and they say today they know the Father, they can pound sand because they know nothing. They know nothing. And don't, don't be held sway because they say the words Father or Jesus. All the cults say that. All of them do. And this is what Antichrist do. To deny is to refuse to recognize or to acknowledge. That's to deny. You, you refuse to acknowledge, right? Matthew, 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men... Jesus said, Him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, Him I will also deny before my Father 
who is in heaven. That's where John is privy. They misrepresent God the Father. They do not acknowledge Him as such. And the word uh, for acknowledge is homologeo, and it simply means same word. Homo, same word, our logos word. Same word implies consent to something felt to be valid and in such a way that it, it is followed by definite resolve and action by ready attachment to a cause. How about this? When a person used to, in the old days, people would be saved. There were a lot of people were saved in church. Remember when people were saved in church services? Okay. That's sad. That's why we're going to meet today at 4.30. So, but you, you could see them getting up and they would just be, you could see the weight of conviction of God upon them. Many were weeping, not all, but many. And they would come down to the front as though they, they were being led. And you'd take them by the hand and they would just look at you and you knew they've just met Jesus. And they say, and they acknowledge Jesus. They, they consent. They readily attach to Him. They are His. It's an amazing thing to see happen. But the Antichrist, they don't, they don't do that. So, what should we do then with all of this today? What is our solution to combat these Antichrists? What do we do? It's really, it's really quite simple. Jude gives us the answer. <clears throat> In verse 17 through 20. But you, that means God's people, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Now, again, too, and it's something I, I need to uh, talk about. I didn't, just quickly. The Antichrists are not just out there espousing false doctrines. They are living sexually explicit lives. Always sexually explicit lives. Always. They're always doing that. It's just what they do. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people. People devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building... And I, I broke this out. Here's the first thing. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. How do you do that? Well, <laughs> you, you, you read your Bible and you spend time with God praying and you don't watch bad stuff on TV and you turn off the ugly music and you stop having unseemly conversations with people at work just because it's funny. It's not that funny. And so you start drawing near to God and you, and you stay close to God and, and, and you live like someone who's been old. You got the Holy Spirit of God dripping all over you. Remember that. And you build yourself up in who your true identity is. That's how. That's how you do that. Number two, you pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, if you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to pray, you're very mindful of the fact that you're praying and talking to God Almighty. You say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) enable me to pray, guide my words. Let me, let, me, let me be aware and focused 
Now, I've, sometimes, you know, you have to fight your flesh when you pray a lot. I've noticed you get tired or sleepy or distracted or bored or uncomfortable or whatever it is. And, and sometimes you get so frustrated with it that you come down and I just say, oh, Holy Spirit, please, struggling here. I don't know what to say, so would you just take over? And, and you're just there. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You keep yourself in the love of God. Well, how do you do that? Sounds like an old archaic but nondescript way of saying, do what God loves. And stop doing what God doesn't love. I want to tell you something about sin that you need to know. It is very, very difficult. If you want... You think the Christian life is hard? You ought to just go be a a rank pagan sinner. Drown your sorrows with booze, beer, and all those things that go with it. Go into sexual explicit activities. Get into hatefulness and unforgiveness. Carry the burden of strife and contention and be a brawler. Go ahead. You won't live long. And you just get... You turn into a smeagol. After a while. It's true. It makes you ugly. It, it leaves a mark. How can you tell when you're not walking in the love of God? Because you begin to kind of look like the world. There's a darkness comes upon that person. And they can be as polished as you can imagine. But there's a darkness begins to come on you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then lastly, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal life. Wait in faith. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, or not walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Do you consider heaven much, saint? Do you consider that that's your eternal home? And I, I think of the young ones, the young families, and you're all trying to get started and establish careers and get, get ahead and have young babies and that kind of stuff. Don't forget, if you're in Christ, you have an eternal home. So don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy, but treasures in heaven. And, and lastly, this cliche phrase has been around a long time, and I want to I mention it to you. And it can go both ways. Not only for the lost man who doesn't know Christ, but also for the Christian. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Count on it. Antichrist, that's all they do. That's all they do. Do not bid them good day, the Bible says. Don't even bid them good day. But keep yourself in the love of God and the mercy of Christ. I'm going to ask JT to come. I'm going to explain to you what we're doing now. We do it every Sunday. This is called a, a reflection time. Just preach from the Word. You've been under the ministry of the Word. What has God's Word done in your heart? This is a moment to stop and take it in. And listen to what the Holy Spirit of God may be directing you to do, to think, 
to respond to. Don't just, you don't just leave. You, just, you, you, you let it soak in. You, you deal with it. For some of you, it may be that you need to profess Christ publicly. Remember what we read. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. You confess me before men, I'll confess your name before my Father in heaven. You must come to Christ and repent of your sin and be born again. If you're a Christian and you've just been, you've just been in a pit, turn it to Jesus. Commit your way unto the Lord and He shall establish your path. And if, if you've just been doing all those things, you may just do something you maybe don't do enough of in this moment. You just praise God for His goodness in your life and thank Him that He's preserved your life with His truth. As JT plays, in these few moments, let's just spend some time with God.